0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit grove.church. Well, good morning. Welcome to church. My name is Pastor Aaron, and I am the youth pastor, and I have completely lost my mind. So, if you need to send an email into Nick and complain, Pastor Aaron, tell him about that. No, I'm just kidding. My name's Ryan. Yes, believe it or not, I am one of the pastors on staff here at the Grove. We're glad that you are here today as we continue our series called Upside Down Kingdom. But I want you to do something for me. Do me a favor. I want you to try to remember back. For some of us, we got to remember a little farther back uh, than, than some others. But I want you to try to remember back to childhood Christmas time. Okay, somewhere between five, six years old, maybe up to your early teenage years. Can you remember what traditions you had? Can you take yourself, try to get back to that place as a child and Christmas. Maybe you had different traditions. Maybe your family, you know, met on Christmas Eve instead of Christmas Day. Or maybe you had several places you had to go to uh, on Christmas Day to see all the family. I don't know what it is, but let me share some of the traditions of Christmas for me. And some of you are saying, Ryan, why are you talking about Christmas? It's like 80 degrees in July. I love Christmas, I'm preaching, deal with it, all right? No, but here's the deal. So some of the family uh, traditions that we had, my mom and dad were the matriarch and patriarch of our family. I've said this many times before you guys know it. I have four brothers and two sisters. that are all much older than me. Um, and so when we did Christmas, we did it on Christmas Eve so that there wasn't the battle of whose house do we go to on Christmas Day. So my parents did that. Our family came together. That way they could go with their spouses uh, uh, on Christmas Day. And so we would do it on Christmas Eve. And of course I had a bunch of nieces and nephews that would come. And so I mean, basically by the age of eight or nine, I was an only child my, my, my closest sibling was already moved out many of my siblings were married and had kids so sometimes we had between like 20 and 30 people on Christmas Eve and I remember a few of the traditions that we had I remember that Christmas was one of the only times of year that my mom would make her famous steamed chocolate pudding right it was a special container you had to have to do it and, and that was the time there's a special sauce that went over it right Christmas time was one of the only times it was a rare occasion that we would have that we had other traditions as well, And some of these traditions still hold true with my family now that I'm grown and have kids. Right? There are certain movies, I don't know if anybody's with me, there are certain movies, Christmas movies, I have to watch before Christmas. Anybody else have certain movies that you, okay, some of you are as insane as me. Okay, so let me give you a couple examples of some of the movies that I have to watch, okay? Home Alone. Home Alone, one and two, there is no three or anything after that, okay? So just strike that from your memory, one and two, right? Elf. I got to watch Elf before Christmas time comes, okay? National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, sometimes multiple times before Christmas happens, all right? If it's for my wife, it's the Hallmark Christmas movies that start around Thanksgiving and go for like for a month, and I've got like 30, you know, Hallmark movies. Here's the deal. I watch them with my wife because I love her. If she was here, she'd tell you that I love them as much. It's not true. I do like some of them. Here's the honest truth. I can only handle so much Candace Cameron Burr, okay? Right? If you don't know who that is, DJ from Full House, she's like in all of these movies, like everyone as a different person. I can only handle so much of that, right? Uh, Die Hard, and many of you didn't know that was a Christmas movie. Fellas, you're welcome. Ladies, let your husband watch Die Hard. It's a Christmas movie, okay? And of course, one of the greatest all-time Christmas movies, one of my favorites, The Pink Nightmare, The Deranged Easter Bunny, right? A Christmas Story, right? Ralphie and and Aunt Clara sent him this god-awful thing that she made. So I don't know if you can remember the traditions that you had or remember what it was like or the things that you thought about as a child around Christmas time. I've always loved Christmas. In fact, still do. My wife and I are insane, Right? We love Christmas music, we love snow, Right, we like getting together with family, love the decorating of the tree. In fact, snow, if our weather app shows like a half a snowflake on a day at 2 a.m., we will set our alarms for 2 a.m. to wake up to see if it's snowing. <laughs> we need help. There's worse things that we could have problems with people, okay? But I love Christmas. But if I'm honest with you and transparent, and, and maybe some of you can relate uh, to some of these, um, Christmas time wasn't perfect. It wasn't always healthy. There was some things that I did or issues, thoughts that I had that weren't necessarily healthy. Let me give you an example of one, okay? I was that kid. I would sneak into my parents' uh, a closet, and I would try to find out the gifts that they would have, and then they got smart enough to start wrapping the gifts beforehand, but then I got really good at unwrapping gifts. I don't even know if they know this, but if you have a box I'm gonna enable somebody today and you're gonna figure out how to do this. But if you've got a box, right, you, you secure the ends of the wrapping on the edges, right? So you can open that up, untape it, and all of a sudden you got like a little tunnel, like in, and you can see the box, right, of what it is. If it's a game or something and it's original wrapping, you can find out what it is and tape it up back together. Then my parents got smart and started putting it in other boxes of like diapers and you know, things so I couldn't see what it was. I was a rotten kid, okay? I'm just admitting it to you. I was a rotten child, all right? On a more serious note, there were some things that weren't necessarily healthy, and this is one I, I would assume that most of us as kids could probably relate to. I mean, of course, not now because we're adults, but there were moments where even though I was getting presents and even though I was sitting around with a big family and even though I knew people at school whose families either didn't celebrate Christmas or maybe they didn't have enough money to have presents and they weren't getting anything, that I had stuff, and yet it still wasn't enough. You know, I would say, man, I got, you know, five, six, ten gifts, whatever, but, but, but she's got 11, yeah, I mean, I, I got gifts and 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 yeah, but but she got this full Barbie playhouse with the pony and the stable and the toilet and the bed and like, come on, really? It's like fifty dollars, and I got like an M M&M and M dispenser with some M and Ms, right? But there's something as a child, and still I battle today, which is when we receive things, we most of us could relate and say we like to get gifts, and it doesn't always have to be expensive, right? Sometimes it can just be something that's. Um, has thought that's put into it. We like to receive gifts. There's nothing wrong with that, but you ever noticed, and, the, and I think the stereotype still stands true, I get my kids gifts and they love it, and then two days later we can't find them anymore and they're back to their old things. Right, it's very fleeting. The items that we get when, when we get them, it, they last for, for, for a very small amount of time. You guys are having a really hard time concentrating with me in this suit, aren't you? All right, I'm gonna take it off, all right. Yeah, aww. I kind of feel like I should have like a changing thing here. This feels a little awkward for me to do this, but this is really hot, by the way. I imagine this is what a Snuggie feels like. Andrew, is that what a Snuggie feels like? Okay, yeah. Andrew would know. Andrew would know. Andrew would know. Oh, I'm sweating already. And everybody said that was too much information. All right. There we go. Okay, let's put these over here. All right. Here we go. Okay. So here's the issue. Yes, thank you, thank you. So the reality is, is as we jump into continuing our series, the Upside Down Kingdom, you might say, okay, Ryan, I'll get Upside Down Kingdom. What exactly does that mean? Let me give you just a little bit of scope of why we're doing this series, is that as Christians and believers in Jesus, we should be living according to the values and the rules of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not just a kingdom that once we get to heaven, his laws about life and how we should live and the values of that kingdom should operate how we are every single day, even here on earth. And the truth is, is we have a kingdom outside of us, our culture that we come into contact with every day, that a lot of times is in stark contrast, polar opposites with the values of the world and our culture to what the kingdom of God says, and there's many instances in Scripture that give us these. Uh, and, and certainly in the series, we don't have long enough to hit all of them. We're, we're going to hit some of the most prominent ones. And Nick started this series just a few weeks ago, right? Some of us are saying a kingdom. Okay, I mean, yeah, I've read about kingdoms. We don't really have kingdoms, right? We have a president, not a king. right? We have a democracy, not a dictatorship. right? But if you go back to the, 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 the mid, Middle Ages and, and medieval times and even Old Testament Scripture, you had kings and queens that ruled. They dictated what, who you worship, the religion that you had, right? They, in an instant, if they didn't like you, they could take your life for whatever reason. They didn't have to ask. They could just do it, right? And then when one king or queen would change and somebody else would come in, maybe they had a different set of values or somebody that they wanted to worship as far as their God or, or these different things, right? Kings and queens could do whatever they want. And so, no, we don't live in a kingdom, literal, here in America, but there's still a kingdom, figuratively speaking, that we come into contact with. The news, our jobs, our work. There's values of this world that we're inundated with every single day that are oftentimes in stark opposition to what the kingdom of God and its values are. And Nick started to give you an example. So if you weren't here a few weeks ago, I'd look up this podcast. But he started with, uh, 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 with the issue that if you want to be exalted, you must first humble yourself. Right? Humble yourself and then God will exalt you. And it's the opposite of what our world tells us. Right? Our world tells us, get yours while you can. Make a name for yourself. Boast about yourself. Get, get your 15 minutes of fame. Right? Blow out somebody else's candle so that yours shines brighter. Step on their heads as you climb up the corporate ladder. Whatever it is, it's get yours, right? It's not humble yourself. Right? We see this picture when we think about humility and humbling ourselves like a peasant kneeling before a king. And our culture, our kingdom every day around us tries to tell us that no, if you've got the managerial position. If you have the cloud, if you're the owner, then you're the one that tells the pawns what to do, right? But the Bible, in stark contrast to that, says, humble yourselves and then God will exalt you. Right? Don't go sit at the head table at a wedding, lest somebody come and remove you and take you to the back, and now you're humiliated. No, sit at the back and then have them come to you and honor and bring you up. Humble yourself. And then you'll be exalted. And so, today we're going to tackle another one of these. And it's something that I'm sure every single one of us in this room has heard before. In fact, it's on our wall. It's one of the code that we live by as a church on our mission, right? That it's better to give, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And our world tells us the opposite of that. Our kingdom around us of our culture tells us you got to get, you got to save, right? You got to have stuff, you got to live beyond your means, right? You give it away. Are, are you kidding me? You got to keep it, you got to save it, you got to get it while well, the getting. Is good. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to take them out. I always encourage you to bring your Bibles with you. Um, we're going to start in Acts chapter 20, verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, you can open up your smartphone, that Bible app. Uh, or if you don't have that, you can, there's actually a, a Bible in the seat bottom in front of you. You can take that and use it for today. Or you can even keep it and take it home with you, our gift to you. But we're going to be in Acts 20, starting in verse 25. And I want to give you some context to this before we read it because I'm a huge contextual guy. Okay, I want to know the context of what we're reading and what we're about to read. Do you remember Paul, the Apostle Paul? We just finished a series not too long ago called Joyride. It was on the study on the book of Philippians, which were letters that Paul the Apostle wrote to the church at Philippi. In the same way, he had other churches in different cities. And one, one was Ephesus. What we read today is actually Paul's farewell discourse. This is his goodbye letter to the uh, Ephesian elders. And what's even more interesting about this verse is this is a very, very unique verse. In fact, if you've gotten this verse and you have your Bible, I'd somehow mark this because this is one of the only instances, if not the only instance, in which we find someone quote Jesus, in this particular matter, it's Paul who's writing this, this is one of the only, if not the only instance, in which we find someone quote Jesus and that quote cannot be found in the original gospel accounts. Right, the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four, Bible, uh, first four books of the, the New Testament. Right, four different people writing on the same issue, which was the life of Jesus, right, writing down what happened. So this is one of the only instances that we find this. And Paul says this in verse 25, he says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone out preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. "'Therefore I declare to you today "'that I am innocent of the blood of all men, "'for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you "'the whole will of God. "'Keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock "'of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. "'Be shepherds of the church of God, "'which he bought with his own blood. "'I know that after I leave, "'savage wolves will come in amongst you "'and will not spare the flock.' Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw people and disciples away after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Verse 32, now I I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Come on, if you have your Bible, underline grace. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, and here it is, who said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Let's pray today. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you have a kingdom, and there are values that you set up for us to live by because you are a good father, and you love your children, and your desire is to protect us and lead us towards things that are good, to keep us out of harm's way. And even as some of us are parents in this room who set up values and systems for our children to keep them safe, God, so you did the same for us. And yet, ironically, we even as adults sometimes act like teenagers, God, and we think that we understand and that you don't understand and that you don't know the best for us and that you're just trying to rob us, God, of fun and joy and the things that we want, but God, that you would speak to our hearts today. We don't want to live by the values of the kingdom that lies out there. We want to live by the kingdom values that you have set forth for our good. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. So again, this is Paul's farewell letter to people that he loves. Right? He's, he's reminding them, saying, guys, remember, I came to you preaching the whole will of God, the whole gospel message. Not just the good parts, not the parts that you just found joy in, right, that there's salvation for you, that you can have eternal life and it's grace and it's a free gift. I didn't just come preaching those things. I came preaching the whole gospel. I came preaching the gospel of repentance, that you need to turn away from what you're doing, that you have sin. I I preached uh, 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 um, uh, discipline to you. I preached these things that aren't necessarily joyful. I didn't spare anything from you. He says, I remind you that the epitome of everything is to focus on grace. I commit you to grace. This should be the driving factor for everything that you do. He said, I came to you, and I didn't ask you for money. I didn't ask you for silver or gold or even clothing. He says, with my own hands, I provided for myself while I was with you. I didn't have ulterior motives, is what Paul is saying. I love you, and I came to give you truth. I came to give you the whole truth. And not only did I provide for myself, but I provided for all of my companions that were with me. And he said, it's by this hard work you've seen me do and by the hard work that you do. And here's something incredible. He said, use it for the weak. Use it for those that are in need. Not just for you, not just for yours, not just for your family, but use what you have, the resources that you have to help those that are in need. And most of us hear that verse, it's more blessed to give than receive. And intellectually and in our minds, most of us probably even agree with it, right? Yeah, I mean, it sounds good, like don't be selfish, like help other people. But it's a whole different thing to actually live it out as a lifestyle, isn't it? Yes. To be generous. And you know, you've probably heard this verse before, and you've probably even heard preachers use it. And you've probably even heard them use this very verse from Paul, out of context, in a tithing message. Everybody take a deep breath. Let it out. This is not a tithing message, okay? You can relax because it's not just about money. Now, I want to be clear. We're going to use, I'm going to use the word resources. That's everything at your, your and my disposal. Yes, it includes money, but it is not limited to money. It's your time. It's your compassion. It's the intelligence that you have. Let me give you some examples. You may say, man, ultimately what Paul's doing is saying, live a generous life. The things that you have, the resources, everything, use it to help people that are in need. He's saying, man, you might know somebody at your work to say, man, I'm having a custody battle that's going on, and, and, and I don't know what to do. And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe for you, it's like, man, I'm a lawyer. I've, I've been down this road. You got some questions? Can I help you? Maybe somebody says, you know what, man, I, I just had to have my mother-in-law move into our house, and she, she's in a wheelchair now, and we live in a split-level home, and we can't even get in there, and we're carrying her up. And you're a contractor. You say, you know what? I can come build you a ramp. Can we come help you? Right? It's not just about money. It's not just about even items. It can be those things. Those aren't excluded, but this is a bigger picture, and here's the crazy part about this ideal, this concept that it's better to give, it's more blessed to give than receive, is this, is it touches on one of the greatest human conditions that we have. In fact, Jesus spoke on this issue 10 times more than he talked about any other obstacle, right? anything getting in our way or sin. He talked about this so much because it's one of the greatest human conditions, which is selfishness. And Paul is admonishing us. He's reminding us, live and lead a generous life. I want to read another scripture to you. You don't need to turn there. It's Luke six thirty-eight. So we have this ideal. It's better to give than receive. We have this value of the kingdom of God, and there's different avenues, because this is deep. This doesn't just touch one thing. It touches so many things. This human condition is like the root of the issue, and all of these other things are just the symptoms that come out of this. And so there's another verse that gives another angle on this same ideal. And Luke says this in chapter 6, verse 38. He says, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing, it will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, hold on. Stop for a second. We hear this, and we say, give, and it will be given to you. And we think, whoa, that doesn't even make any sense. Right? The, the kingdom of this world would say, you got to save, you got to get yours while you can get it. you got to buy things that you can't even afford. Right? Give, that doesn't make any sense. Right? For some of us, we, we can't even make ends meet. Some of us are, are, are living paycheck to paycheck. Or maybe worse, maybe you're in a hole so deep trying to get out of debt that you never think you're going to make it. And you're saying, Ryan, you're telling me to give and be generous? If I do that, I'm never going to get out of this thing. But here's the ideal. Here is the value that God says in his kingdom. Give and it will be given to you. Give and it will be given to you. It doesn't make sense, but that's what happens. Give, and we, we have a promise now attached to this ideal. There's a promise. This is a kingdom of God promised. And then He gives a responsibility. Did you catch that? Give and it will be given, but it's your responsibility for the measure that you you not your it's not anybody else's fault. Many of us, it's not our yes, bad things happen. Life happens. I get it. We're all in unique circumstances. But there are many in this world, the situation that we find ourselves in is because of our own doing. We don't either understand kingdom principles, right? We're not living according to God's word. Something is happening. But it's our responsibility. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. Not just paid back. Not half as much. Not a little bit more. Good measure. pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. It's a picture of more. Give, and it will be given to you. But with the measure that you use it, that's the measure that comes back to you. It's not anybody else's responsibility but ours. We have to own. We have to own that. Definitely opposite of our kingdom that we live in every day, that we see in our world in our culture, extravagance, right? And at the core is what? Selfishness. Every one of us is selfish. And it's not either you are or you aren't. I mean, there's varying levels, right? I mean, some people are extremely selfish. Others of us are learning, we're trying. But when something happens, a situation, an event, the first thing that always happens is we think about how it makes us feel. What does that mean for us? Now, some of us have gotten good because God's working in our heart and we learn to move past that selfishness and to look at what, what about other people and we make sacrifice. It's not about being perfect, but we have selfishness. Let me give you an example. How many of you guys are married? Raise your hand. If you're married, raise your hand. Okay, here's the deal. When you get married or if you're ever going to be married, let me tell you something, you can't be selfish when you get married. It doesn't work, right? You can't live the way that you lived as a bachelor in your apartment now that you're living, right? You can't just leave your dirty underwear everywhere. Ladies, we can't handle it anymore, all right? You just can't do it. You gotta stop. You gotta stop. That's where you're supposed to say preach. That's right. I'm just teasing. But you can't, you can't be selfish, Right? You can't just go out all hours of the night and the evening with no phone call of where you're going. You can't just spend money on anything you want like you used to do as a single person. You now Throw kids into the mix and it's a whole nother level. You can't be selfish. Here's some of the fun little things. Okay, You gotta realize you can't keep the butter in the refrigerator. You gotta leave it on the counter. You can't spread hard cold butter on soft bread. It's gonna rip it. You gotta, it's wrong with you. That's right. Same with the peanut butter. Some of you need to go home and open your fridge and find Jesus, okay? <laughs> let, me, let me use another word. Right? We can all identify with selfishness, but this one is a little bit harder, right? Greed. We think about greed, and oh, that's a hard word, that's a hard pill to swallow. Right? Because we think of the extreme instances of greed that we've seen in our world, and we say that's not us. But greed, again, it isn't either you are or you aren't. There's there's varying ranges of greed. Some of us just use a different word. We call it frugal because it sounds better. Now we're frugal with our money. Paul and now Luke are illuminating this human condition and saying, you need to live a generous life. And here's the crazy part when you do, you get more. That makes no sense. It's not rational. It doesn't make any sense. By our world standards and the kingdom around us of our culture, that doesn't make any sense. You got to save yeah, every penny, everything, every. No. This is opposite, and I'm telling you right now, if you can catch this, Jesus spent more time talking about this issue than any other. Do you know how impactful the church could be if we would realize this? I know people right now who just told me in the lobby, they said, man, I learned this concept a long time ago. I can never outgive God. I I try to give everything I can away to people who need, and I just keep getting more. It doesn't make any sense. We need to live a generous life. Again, it's not just money. I want you to hear me. It's your time, it's your compassion. Maybe it's a shoulder cry on. Maybe it's somebody in need and you open up your house. Maybe you find somebody in need and they need a place to live and you give them your travel trip. It doesn't matter. It's just anything that you have at your disposal that you can help other people. Paul and now Luke are saying, live a generous life. There's a lot of reasons why we don't live generous lives. Here's another one. Sometimes it's just the natural greed we want. We got our stuff, it's about us. We've bought into the lie, but here's, here's the other one. Sometimes it's out of fear. We're afraid of the future. What's going to happen? i got to have so much money in my bank account in case I lose my job. i gotta, you know, I got to think about this, and what if there's a diagnosis, and what if Y2K happens? I mean, whatever, right? I mean, there's these real things, but it truly is fear that we operate out of. And I want you to hear me. This is, this is what I'm not saying, okay? I am not saying that we shouldn't save money. The Bible is very clear that we should be shrewd. Right? We should be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm not talking about living fri- frivolously. Right? I'm not saying that we shouldn't save money. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a 401k and think about our future and retirement. I'm not saying that we shouldn't save for our kids' education. But here's the problem. Some of us have become really good at providing for ourselves. So much so that we don't look to God. We don't need him anymore. Now we're getting to it. Now, now, now here's a really deep issue. Here's the root is that we get our priorities out of whack, right? All of a sudden, now we're our provider. Now, I can solve this with my intellect, or if I just work hard enough, my charisma, right, the gifting that I have, I'm an incredible guitar player, and I can shred like crazy, and I'll be able to do gig- Whatever it is, we get really good sometimes, and even unintentionally, we mess up our priorities of keeping God number one in our life. Here's, here's the thing, let me lay it out for you. Okay, let me give you the first three priorities that you should have in your life, whether married or single, okay? Number one, without question, is God. It's simple, we know it, but the problem is every day we have things that fight for our attention, that fight for our passion, that fight for our hearts. Sometimes the number one thing is number one. It's just us. God has gotta be number one. When God is number one, everything else seems to work itself out. Number two, if you're married, it's your spouse. It's not your children, and we've said this before. It's not your kids, but our culture tells us something different, doesn't it? You bend over backwards. they got to be in every extracurricular activity they could possibly be in, right? You spend all your time driving all over, doing everything. You take their side in arguments, but here's what happens. Our world tells us, I heard a pastor say this once. He said, you know, uh, I, had, I had two siblings, so there was three of us, and we had, uh, had parents, and, and we knew, man, if we were on a ship and it was going down, there's five of us, and there's only two life preservers, mom and dad are saving themselves, And that sounds so wrong when we say it because no, you can save the kids. Here's my point. If you put kids in place of your spouse, and I know some of you are saying, well, we got unique situations. You don't understand our unique circumstance. I'm telling you right now, if if you're married and God is at number one, you're in trouble. If your spouse is at number two, I don't care the circumstances. I'm not saying that I understand everybody's situation, but I'm telling you this it gets out of whack. If you start putting the kids first or, or the job uh, before them or anything like that, this is what happens. All of a sudden, uh, the relationship starts to go down, and it affects the kids. And then you get separated because you don't love each other anymore, and it affects the kids. Right? And then you get a divorce, and now the kids are a part of a statistic. And now they have a bad outlook on marriage. And then they get married and they say, "Oh, I'll just get married to anybody because I can just get divorced later. Mom and dad did it. But if you have your priorities right, but this is what happens. Selfishness, greed, we put things in the place where they shouldn't be. And we know it. We're not dumb, but we don't live it out for some reason. It's just, there's a struggle every day with things that compete for that number one spot. I want to read you one more scripture. And I want to end. Proverbs 11, you don't need to turn there. 11, 24, and 25 says this. And hear this please with your heart. Don't hear this with your ears. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And the one who waters will himself be watered. Paul, Luke, Jesus himself, and now the author of Proverbs is pointing to this deep human condition of selfishness, of fear that drives us. It drives whether we're willing to be generous. right? We're gonna go home today, and I know what's gonna happen. Most of us are gonna say, yeah, it sounded good then, but I got got real bills to pay. This is real life. I'm telling you, if you're struggling paycheck to paycheck and you've never been able to, 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 to start moving forward, if you're in a hole so deep that you, that you just, man, I can't give, Ryan, are you kidding me? And I'm not talking about tithing. Tithing's part of it, but it's not even about that. If you start living a generous life, I'm, here's the promise. Give and it's given to you. Yes. We're responsible. It's with the measure we use that it will be given. It's a kingdom of God principle. I challenge you, if you're in that spot and it's scary and you're like, I don't know if I can do it, it doesn't make any sense. If I gave this here, how would I pay my, you know, my mortgage here? I'm telling you, Pray. Ask God, and when He speaks, have the faith to step out. Amen. Timothy Keller said it this way. He's a really well known author and scholar, theologian. He said, Money is always in the pursuit of an idol. The money and the stuff that we have is always in pursuit of an idol, something, something that has our heart, right? The Bible says where your, where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. Not your heart, the physical thing that pumps blood. The heart is a representation of what's most important to you in your life, your passion that drives you, which Paul encourages. Don't forget, I commit you guys to grace. Remember, that's what drives you. Your job didn't come and die for you. Your spouse didn't come, it couldn't have come and died for you. The things that you have will cost you everything. For some of us, it's not even monetary items. Right? For some of us, it's, it's, it's education. I buy every book I can do, and I've got a bachelor's and a master's and a doctor's degree, and, they call me, and it gives me my identity, and we spend all of our time and resources towards that end because it served a different idol. The Bible's so clear. It's two simple rules. Don't have any other gods before me and love your neighbor as yourself. Don't have idols. Don't put things in one that shouldn't be in slot number one. You know, we hear this verse a lot, too, and sometimes it gets misrepresented. You, know, you might have heard that money is the root of all evil. Money is, a, is, is an intangible, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an object. It doesn't have a will. It's, it's not possessed. It's an inanimate object. But it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evils. It's the pursuit of something. I don't know about you guys. I, I don't know anybody like this. I, 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 maybe you guys do. Do you know anybody that goes and every paycheck, they, they, they cash it and they bring home as many dollar bills and coins as they can, pile it in a room and swim in it? Nobody loves money. The only person I knew that did that was Scrooge McDuck, all right? Money, nobody loves money, but it's what money can do for us. Well, we don't love money. It's just a thing, but it's what money can do for us. Because money is always in the pursuit of of some kind of an idol. And Paul would go so far and Luke would remind us and Jesus would say and the author of Proverbs would say that if you can live a generous life, if grace can be the thing that drives you, it's your motivator. Remember, Jesus stepped out of all of his glory in heaven. He had it all. He was God. He was there. He was perfect. He stepped out of that glory and took on a human body to die for us, for you, because you were his most important thing. Your job, your stuff, we'll never do that. It will cost us everything. He is the one gift, the one thing that came and did it for us. And if we can grab onto that, I'm telling you, your life will change. Your life will change. Giving is not what we do. Giving is not what we do. Generosity is who we are. Paul says, lead a generous life. You know, I mentioned the code out on the wall. It says that we will lead the way. It doesn't even say with generosity. What does it say? Irrational generosity. We believe it's better to give than receive. You think about that word, irrational? It means not rational. It means doesn't make sense for the situation. And when we think about irrational, we start to say, was well, that irresponsibility? No, 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 no. It's not irresponsibility. You remember Peter in the boat with the disciples on the sea? Do you remember that? Remember, Peter was a fisherman. He knew the sea. This is what he did. This is where his life was spent. And they're in the middle of a storm, and they think they're going to die. That's it. They're gone. Worst storm they'd ever seen. And here comes Jesus walking on the water, and what does he do? He motions for Peter to come out of the boat. Rationally speaking, Peter's like, are you crazy? I know the sea. But Peter knew Jesus. Jesus. Peter had seen what Jesus had done. He had seen the impossible be possible. Rationally speaking, he shouldn't have got out, but he took a step of faith. Taking a step of faith doesn't mean you know what's going to happen. It's that you're trusting that it's going to happen. And he steps out and he walks on water. And here's what I'm telling you. I'm not telling us to be irresponsible with our Resources. What I am saying is that at some point here's a promise. God will ask you to do something beyond your means that's irrational. And it's in that moment like Peter where he could have stayed in the boat and missed out on the miracle. Irrational generosity. This is part of what we live. That's why we do this thing called I Heart. Just one of the many things that we do as a church to be irrational. And I'm looking in this audience right now and I see couples and individuals who are going to be Irrational. Because they're giving up a week of vacation to come and do iHeart all week long. Their coworkers are like, what? Why would you do that? Well, you go to the Bahamas or you go to the Caribbean or, or take a, do something, go camping. You're going to take, some of, them, some of you guys I know right now, I know your stories. You don't even have vacation. You're taking unpaid time to come and serve your community. That's irrational. And on top of that, you're going to pay for it. It costs money. And I know some of you are thinking, why do you guys charge? I got to pay to come and and be a part of iHeart? That doesn't make any sense. iHeart is just a local missions trip. When our Panama team leaves in November to go build a school down in Panama in another country, it costs airfare to get there. It costs supplies. It costs food while you're there. Same way here, we've got T-shirts, we've got food every day, we've got the supplies, the bark, the paint, the stuff that we have to supply, but we do it because it's irrational. We want to love our community. We want to be generous with who we are. Last thing, and I'm gonna pray. You do not need to pray about being generous. And before you think I'm preaching heresy, I want you to hear me out. Yes, pray about everything. Constantly be in prayer without ceasing, but God has already spoke on some of these things. We don't need to pray on whether or not we need to love our neighbor. We just need to pray, how, God? Give me an opportunity. What's the door? How do I do it? We don't need to be praying about being generous. We need to say, God, open up a door. I've only got this, but you can ex- exponentially grow this. I will do whatever you ask me to do. You don't need to pray. We don't need to pray about being generous. We just need to do it, and here's the promise. I guarantee that if you are struggling financially, if you are struggling in some areas where you're just always wanting it never seems like there's enough, maybe it's not even money for you, I promise you, take a step of faith, pray. I'm not gonna tell you what to do, I'm gonna tell you to pray. And when God speaks, have the courage to follow him and I promise you, it will change your life when we live according to the kingdom of God, amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you again for your word, your goodness to us. God, we thank you, God, for your sovereignty in our lives. God, that no matter the situation, you're always there. God, you know everything. You are all-knowing. You know everything from everything. And so, God, I pray for individuals that are here today that hear this message and something leaps within their heart and they want to believe, but they're going to go home and they're going to look at the checkbook balance. They're going to look at the situation that seems dire and hopeless. And, God, I pray that you would give them courage to know, to just take a step of faith. God, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. And I'll try. It couldn't get any worse. And God, it's in that place where the promises that you give, that the kingdom values begin to take place. And that's where lives are changed. God, we say that we love you. We give you our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.